Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for the GNFCC 400 Insider. Connect, build, and grow with the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Um, We are doing a month of May of Thursday webinar series on important topics to all of our communities. And our first one, of course, today um, being our healthcare forum. We appreciate everyone being here. Uh, I do want to start just by introducing our sponsor today. Our sponsor, um, John Ray, who owns and operates North Fulton Studio of Business Radio X. Business Radio X is a 13-year-old national network with studios located across the country. And he serves as the voice of business in the markets that it serves. Uh, John is the host of North Fulton Radio, Business Radio, and Alpharetta Tech Talk, both of which are available on your favorite podcast app. John also helps business owners who want to do their own radio shows and podcasts by producing, promoting those podcasts. Um, He works with businesses such as Frazier and Dieter, Brady Ware and Company, and Morrow Family Medicine, among others. John also produces the monthly podcast of the Greater North Fulton Chamber, and um, that is called the GNFCC 400 Insider. We're excited about that. Um, John also, in his spare time, operates his own business advisory firm, Ray Business Advisors, and is highly active in the North Fulton community. And we're blessed to have him serve on our finance and our executive committee here at the chamber. John, we really appreciate you sponsoring today's forum. I'm going to turn it over to you. Awesome, uh, Callie. Thank you. And thanks to you and everyone at the chamber who has put this series together. Uh, this is really important work that you're doing. So thank you for that. Um, so thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to dive right into it. Um, uh, folks, thanks for being with us. Thanks to those that are on the, um, uh, webinar and those that are, uh, listening live. Uh, if for some reason you get dropped off or, uh, you can't hear or something, uh, you have an issue along the way. Uh, we are broadcasting this event live on North Fulton business radio X.com. There's a player there. You can go hit the play button and, and get into, and also we'll be recording this for a later release. Uh, and it will be released, um, uh, under, uh, GFs, GNFCC, 400insider.com. So you'll be able to find it there as well. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our three uh, distinguished panelists. Uh, first, uh, from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, Dr. Dan Salinas. And Dr. Salinas is the Chief Medical Officer for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. He provides executive oversight for quality and patient safety medical staff services, and affiliations. In addition, Dr. Salinas has worked closely with community providers to develop the Children's Care Network, one of the first pediatric clinically integrated networks in the country, for which he also has executive oversight. He has also worked to advance children's behavioral health and primary care strategies. Dr. Salinas provides visionary leadership for the clinical delivery systems, and draws on his skills as a relationship builder and facilitator to forge strong relationships with physicians in Atlanta and across the state. 
Uh, he's a native of Houston, Texas. Uh, we're glad we stole him for Atlanta. Um, and he serves on several boards, and he also lives uh, here in the North Fulton area in Roswell. Dr. Salinas, thank you so much for joining, joining us this morning. Uh, could you tell us a little more about uh, Children's Health Care of Atlanta and what's going on right now, how the pandemic affects children specifically? Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me and Callie and Stacy and the chamber. I really am honored to be a part of this uh, webinar today. As was just mentioned, I am a resident of North Fulton. My wife and I live in downtown Roswell, so we love North Fulton. We've been here a long time. I wanted to start just by giving a general overview of COVID-19 in pediatrics, because it, it is different than in the adult world. So we've been impacted by COVID-19, but we've been impacted in very different ways. The good news for kids is that COVID-19 is a milder disease in children and rarely requires uh, uh, a visit to the doctor, rarely requires a visit to the hospital. Uh, the number of cases in Georgia, the percentage of cases in children has remained relatively low at about one and a half to two percent. So the good news is that most kids with COVID-19 uh, exhibit just mild symptoms. They usually, as I mentioned, don't require hospital care, but uh, it's still very, very important that the preventive measures that we've all undertaken a good hand washing and social distancing and things of that nature that we still implement those in our kids. I wanted to share with you just some of the things we've done uh, in our hospital, some of the ways that we've, we've had to rethink how we deliver our care in our hospital as a result of COVID-19, because it has caused us to look at that. And one of the things that we've done, which is really uh, uh, unique for us, but very important is that in our emergency departments and in our uh, clinical care areas, we have cohorted patients that either have COVID-19 or suspected of having COVID-19. And what we've done is any child that is admitted to us with a respiratory illness, with fever, et cetera, we have put them under what we call enhanced contact and droplet precaution. So we treat them all as if they could have COVID-19, we put them all in one unit cared for by one set of nurses, one set of physicians, et cetera, to try to prevent the, the spread of that virus to anyone else. Although our staff is using in that cohorted unit, they're when they go into a room with a patient on this enhanced contact droplet precaution, they are, are donning a, a gown, gloves, a special mask, and of course, eyewear, uh, because all of that equipment protects them against the way that COVID-19 spreads. So we've cohorted these patients in our emergency department and in certain areas of our clinical care area areas. And what that has also done is it's helped us to conserve uh, some of our equipment, specifically um, our, the N95 masks and other masks because a staff member can wear the same mask from room to room because that mask is intended to protect them from uh, getting the virus. So this approach has been really, really um, unique for us, but it's really helped us in many, many ways in our system. One of the things that concerns families and our staff is the safety of our facilities. And we've done quite a bit 
We've taken many steps to ensure the safety of our facilities. So everyone that comes into a children's facility is screened, uh, temperatures taken, and, and then a screen for symptoms uh, is, is also performed. Also, everyone that comes into our facilities has to wear masks. Um, all of our high touch surface, all of our high touch surfaces are disinfected regularly. Everyone's encouraged when they come in to wash their hands and the, we have foam and other types of, of hand sanitizer available throughout our systems. We've also put measures in place that keeps people six feet apart whenever possible. And the other thing we've done is we've limited uh, visitors to only one caregiver per child, which has also helped to reduce the opportunity that someone could come in from the outside and spread COVID-19 uh, inside of children's healthcare. There is also a lot of concern about the availability of, uh, in general, about the availability of beds and the availability specifically of ICU beds and ventilators right now during this uh, pandemic that that uh, we have had to address, that we've had to deal with. And thankfully, as I mentioned earlier, kids are much less affected by COVID-19, but rest assured that our hospitals are a safe place for these kids. We have more than 230 licensed ICU beds that are available through Children's and plenty of ventilators that are available in the event that they're needed. And not every child with COVID-19 has to be in the ICU or on a ventilator. And we have adequate number of medical surgical beds also. I wanted to share just a, a couple of special things. Um, as we have all dealt with this pandemic, we've had to keep our eye on the ball, as, as we say, uh, at Children's. And one of the things that we've, that we've continued to do is that we have continued to work on the building of this new campus at North Druid Hills in I-85. That is a hospital that's being built that'll be finished in about five years, four to five years. That's a hospital for the future. And, and this, this epidemic, in addition to all the other things that we've learned, tells us that we need that hospital more than ever. So we've been able to screen that staff that's working to build that hospital, the construction workers and other individuals on a daily basis to keep that workplace safe. So we've continued to move forward with that. The other thing I wanted to mention is that the pediatric offices in the community are also a very safe place. I know people have been hesitant to visit their physician and to visit the pediatrician, but what I want families to remember out there is that their kids need their wellness exams. Their kids need their vaccinations. I think vaccinations, because we don't have one for COVID-19, I think it, they're going to they're going to have a new meaning for people. I hope that they do. And please visit your pediatrician for your child's well visits, for their vaccines. And then don't forget that sports physicals are going to be needed as school resumes, hopefully in the fall. And so be sure to get out and get your sports physicals as well. I'll turn it back to you. Thanks, Dr. Salinas. Um, now when I want to introduce Frida Hardage, and Frida is the director of Northside Alpharetta Medical Campus, and she's a director uh, of foundation and community services for the Northside system. And her responsibilities include all the daily operations of the Alpharetta Medical Campus, which consists of three medical office buildings, 100 plus physicians from, mul from multiple specialties. 
And our foundation responsibilities include comprehensive oversight for all fundraising, donor giving, community activities, and research grant writing for the hospital system. Uh, Frida has volunteered for many organizations. That's an understatement. There's, she's done a lot in this community. We all know, know that. Uh, she serves as the first MARTA chair from North Fulton. She's president emeritus and board member of the Drake House and former chair and board emeritus for uh, the Greater North Fulton Chamber. She has served with distinction on the North Fulton Poverty Task Force, Johns Creek Community Association, YMCA High Harbor Board, and Windward Rotary, just to name a few. Uh, Frida, thanks for being with us and participating on our panel today. Um, can you let us know what's going on at Northside and how you're adapting there to COVID-19? Well, thank you for inviting me today. Um, let me let me just tell you a little bit uh, that we can take a lot of what Dr. Salinas says and apply it to the adult population as well. <clears throat> Most of what we're doing is very similar to what Children's is doing as well in that all of our facilities, including here in Alpharetta, when you walk in, you'll have your temperature taken. You'll be asked to wear a mask to pr proceed wherever you need to go. And um, the Alpharetta campus here in North Fulton has remained open throughout this entire uh, series. And we've become more the campus that dealt with patients that were sick with other disease it, uh, issues at the time so that we could pull them out and not have to have them go to the hospital campuses, but we could continue to treat them with what they needed. And so that's really where our focus has been. Starting uh, this Monday, we did open up again for a small amount of a continuing, for example, screening mammograms for those that have a standard every six month or every 12 month screening mammogram that we don't want them to get behind on it because they may have a disease that they're uh, treating or watching. And so we, we're open back up for that. So we have a new elective surgery schedule that's starting and it's based on disease progression. And so we look at those um, patients that have been waiting for some type of outpatient surgery um, clearly those that have some type of a cancer diagnosis or something that is a more urgent are the ones that are being addressed right away. No orthopedics yet. So it gives you some indication that, you know, we are attempting to slowly open back up, slowly do what we need to do to take care of our community. But any urgent emergent cases have been addressed the entire time. I did look at census this morning just at the Northside Atlanta campus because that's our Fulton County Hospital. Um, and just so you know, um, patients with a diagnosis of corona, there were 39 in the hospital. Of that, 18 of those are in ICU. So 21 are in regular hospital beds. And we have six that are currently in the hospital that we're ruling out the diagnosis but they're sick enough that they need to be in the hospital. So um, at this current time, we have um, 39 critical care ICU beds dedicated to corona. We could make more if we needed, but 39 and there's 18. So there's 21 beds available in critical care today at Northside Atlanta. So um, we, we geared up for the worst case scenario and we have now started to slowly gear back down a bit. Um, we're not unrealistic to think that things couldn't change with um, opening up some of Georgia at this point. 
but we're prepared for how we need to do that. And we hope that we can start to go back to normal. What It'll be a while before we see normal again, but as we work towards that, um, we are doing everything we can to take all those same precautions that Dr. Salinas just spoke about. Terrific, Frida. Thank you. Um, our next panelist is uh, John Paul Kroom uh, with Wellstar North Fulton Hospital, and John Paul is the president of Wellstar North Fulton. Uh, at Wellstar North Fulton is a 202-bed facility uh, located in Roswell. Uh, John Paul joined Wellstar in April of 2017, and Wellstar North Fulton is one of the uh, one of Georgia's only level two trauma centers. It delivers services including cardiovascular services, women's services. Uh, they have a pain and spine center, wound care, and hyperbarics, and an inpatient rehabilitation. North Fulton Hospital is a primary stroke center and an accredited chest pain center. Uh, John Paul previously served as CEO for the 529-bed Central Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi, and opened the only burn center in Mississippi and increased the availability of inpatient psychiatric services at that facility. And John Paul also lives in Roswell as well. Um, John Paul, thanks for being with us today. Uh, so glad you could be here. Give us an update on what where things stand at Wellstar North Fulton and how you're managing uh, the, this change. Sure. Thank you, John. It's a uh, pleasure to uh, be here with all of you today uh, and to be able to talk about healthcare in the North Fulton area. Um, so uh, Wellstar North Fulton Hospital, very similar uh, to, to what Frida and Dr. Salinas uh, mentioned about gearing up uh, for COVID-19. Uh, a couple of months ago, when we uh, started rolling out uh, the process, we added many, many beds, uh, many um, you, you've seen on the news with uh, rooms being uh, turned to negative pressure rooms by the use of uh, HEPA filters. Uh, we probably have over 50 rooms that we added in addition to our regular rooms that were negative pressure uh, with HEPA filters. Um, screening uh, all employees uh, coming in with temperature uh, checks every day, asking about travel, although the travel is very limited for everybody at this point. Um, and then visitor restrictions. Uh, I think, you know, I think Dr. Salinas mentioned that, you know, at the children's hospitals, uh, when we have pediatrics, usually there is obviously a, a visitor associated with that patient. At the adult hospitals, um, those visitor restrictions uh, extend to really no no visitors unless uh, somebody is in an end of life situation. Um, so, in in that sense, we have we have limited uh, the number of people that are able to come into the facilities uh, to just those people uh, receiving receiving care. And we know this is a, has been a very difficult time uh, for our our community, especially when they have loved ones coming into the hospital. But I would say that most of the community members have been very understanding and supportive of this process. Um, I also want to say on, on communities, you know, we truly appreciate the outpouring of support uh, for the communities, not just for our hospitals, but for those frontline uh, people such as our uh, our EMTs and our police and our firemen. It's been a, um, it's, it's been really a, a big um, 
uh, growth of relationships uh, among you know all of the front line and, and the community uh, during these past few months. Uh, at this time, you know, as, as Frida said, you know, we are, you know, we've kind of come out of, you know, where we thought that peak was going to be. We certainly expect that, you know, we might see other peaks throughout the year as, as Georgia continues to open back up. However, um, we are also prepared to take on additional patients. At this time, our, our, our patient load for COVID-19 has flattened out, uh, has probably flattened out about three weeks ago. Uh, to where we are admitting about as many patients as we're discharging. Um, so we're not, we're not growing and we haven't, we're not seeing it shrink a lot. Uh, but at the same time, I think it is important um, for the community to know that um, COVID-19 has not, you know, affected the healthcare community as a whole in the same way. And what I mean by that is, is while, you know, the frontline ICU uh, your pulmonologists, your critical care physicians have been very, very busy um, taking care of COVID-19 patients. There are many, many other uh, physicians and independent physicians such as orthopedists and ENTs that have, that have lost, you know, up to 90% of their, their business. Um, and they are, you know, that, that it, it's an important time to recognize that, you know, there are a lot of patients out there that have put off their care. Um, and we, you know, as hospitals, we, we appreciate that because it gave all of us an opportunity to ramp up, to get more PPE, to get our testing procedures, uh, faster, to get additional test kits. But I, but I think I would, you know, I would say that all of the hospitals in Atlanta area are at the point right now, uh, where we, we're all in pretty good shape. And, um, but we also know that people that have put off those, those treatments, um, we, we really encourage uh, those people to uh, consider coming back and talk to their doctor if they need a procedure done. Uh, we are set up in such a way to keep to keep those elective uh, procedures safe uh, and separated from from COVID nineteen patients. We have here at Wellstar North Fulton we have separate entrances for those patients, separate screening processes. Uh, for the most part, all of the uh, staff are, are different than the staff that are taking care of the COVID-19 patients. Um, and, you know, in general, as a general statement, healthcare facilities um, have been very, very good um, over the years in, in, in knowing how to uh, use PPE properly, uh, wash hands properly, and prevent spread of disease. Because we've had uh, diseases existed long before COVID-19 and, um, and our professionals are, are very, very good at minimizing, um, that risk. Um, and so I, w- I would just kind of, you know, in- end by saying that, you know, we, we've taken a very collaborative approach. Um, as Frida mentioned, Northside opened up this past week, uh, Wellstar also opened up at the same time. There was, uh, they, they, there was a lot of collaboration that existed between the four major health systems uh, here in, in Atlanta over the past several weeks, uh, where our chiefs of surgery had discussions about you know, when it was appropriate to start opening back up. And, um, you know, I think it's been, uh, there's been a lot of great um, camaraderie among the healthcare systems uh, in trying to do the best thing for our, our, our citizens, uh, but at the same time, you know, recognizing uh, that there are many other disease states beyond COVID-19 that, that need to be taken care of. But thank you. Thank you, John Paul. Um, so let's get into some of the questions that we've uh, received from uh, our attendees. Um, 
this is a good one to start. It's uh, with uh, about common myths. And Frida, maybe you can start on this one, um, and I'll let, let everyone else uh, follow you. Uh, what are some of the common myths uh, that are uh, you hear that you can dispel that in terms of what's going on in North Fulton? Um, I, you know, I, first of all, I want to say that I, I'm, I'm really pleased that we live in North Fulton because I think that North Fulton has done an outstanding job of rising above and beyond in taking care of a lot of the COVID issues and even now with the state saying that, you know, you could open back up, I think you've seen a really slow progression of that because people are aware of some of the real concerns that we have with uh, this not reoccurring uh, with the small chance that we have here that it could reoccur. We want to make sure that we do everything we can. So I want to applaud everyone out there and all the steps that they have taken um, to try to make sure that as they open up, they're doing the best they can. Um, I don't, I don't know specifically miss that I would say, but I do think that, um, I do want to say that I do encourage people that when you're out in the community, out in the public, that you are wearing masks. I I think that masks protect you and masks protect other people. And I I know that some people feel differently about that, but that's one thing that I feel strongly about right now that I think everybody, when you're out, you should have your mask on. So that would be what I would say. Uh, specifically that I think some people feel like that that's not um, something that we should be doing, but from all indications, I feel strongly about that. So. Thank you, John Paul, you want to go next? Sure. I, I would just add on to something I mentioned earlier. I think, you know, one of the myths out there in, in the community is, you know, if you, if you don't feel good, don't go to the ER because you'll get COVID-19. Um, I, I, I think that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that, I think that is a big myth that really needs to be dispelled. And, and I will say that, you know, healthcare workers, we are very, very good at, at, at uh, minimizing the spread of any disease. Um, you know, most of the patients we see in the ED do not have COVID-19, um, but there are, our healthcare workers are all wearing masks, are all wearing PPE. Uh, we have hand sanitizers every six feet on the wall. Um, and there's a lot of uh, vigorous hand washing, which has really always occurred in, in the ERs. Um, I would say, and and you know, and I, and I think one of the things about my friends that do not work in healthcare, you know, they they, they say, well, that, that's that's we're really proud of you for going to the hospital every day. And I and, and my my response is, I feel safer uh, at a hospital than I do at, at you know at many other places that that haven't spent years and years. Uh, perfecting, uh, you know, PPE and, and knowing how to use it and wash their hands and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I, I think I would, I would say to, to, as far as a myth being dispelled is, is your, your emergency department, your local emergency department is a safe place to go. Um, you have to take care of yourself and you're, you know, if you're having any kind of issues, chest pain, whatever, please get in and get that checked out because we are seeing many, many patients that have put, put off um, services for weeks and are coming in in much worse state than, than they would have had they just come in and gotten checked out. So, Thank you, John Paul. Dr. Salinas, what's your perspective? Sure. A couple of myths that affect kids specifically. One is uh, that if your child is admitted to children's, they're, they're going to be alone. And as I mentioned earlier, and, and this has made itself onto uh, Facebook and the internet. So, because of that, 
people think it's true, but it's not true. In fact, uh, as I mentioned earlier, all of our our kids that are admitted to the hospital are allowed to have one visitor with them at all times. And that's very, very special and specific for children. Another myth is uh, about ibuprofen, that taking ibuprofen can make COVID-19 worse. And that is a myth. Um, in fact, uh, fever-reducing medicines like ibuprofen and acetaminophen are all safe to use uh, in children. Another one that's somewhat interesting, this one pokes its head up with various diseases, is that uh, COVID-19 can be spread by mosquitoes. COVID-19 is a respiratory illness. And in fact, what we should be worried about is making sure that we are washing our hands, socially distancing, wearing masks when appropriate, not touching our, our uh, eyes, our nose, our mouth, and our face with our hands. That's why hand washing is so very, very important. Uh, but I can uh, assure you, based on information from the World Health Organization and the CDC, that uh, COVID-19 is not spread by mosquitoes. I'm shocked to hear that Facebook is not a reliable source of information, but we'll move on from that. Um, uh, John Paul, maybe you can start on this question. Um, you mentioned, because you mentioned a little bit of this specifically, um, and you, if you can expand on it, it would be great in terms of how the community has supported you during this time. And maybe you can add on ways that the community can help going forward, um, uh, genuinely help, um, going forward. Yeah, I think um, the the most visible ways initially the community supported, I mean, almost immediately we started seeing uh, getting phone calls and and deliveries of of PPE, including masks and and other types of uh, PPE. Um, And some of these that people had made, um, a lot of food. Um, I I think I've discovered more uh, restaurants in the North Fulton area uh, than I'd even known about um, with, with just the uh, the food delivery to our frontline staff. Um, that that has occurred for for weeks now. Um, you know, making sure that you know people that are working hard on the front line uh, at all shifts. You know, because we're a twenty four seven facility, so weekends, nights. Um, it's it's been um, unbelievable uh, the the number of community groups, individuals, single families that have, that have come out and made th- those types of donations. Um, also community groups who put up signage. I'm sure everybody's seen the We Are Heroes signs that have been put up in front of hospitals and fire stations and police stations. Um, it's, it's, it's nice. Uh, it's, it's a nice way to uh, connect with our community. We're very uh, thankful for that. Uh, thankful for that support. I think that the, um, the biggest way that our you know community helped, and I think this is you know I think this says a lot about the North Fulton area, is that our community started you know social distancing even before the shelter in place order, mm-hmm. and I think as a result, uh, we you know we just you know saw a much uh, faster leveling of COVID nineteen cases than in some other places in Georgia. I know we see on the news about. And I've got you know, friends that work at Phoebe Putney down in Albany, and they had a you know, huge influx there. Um, and, you know, if you just compare the, the two different places, I think, you know, what our community was able to do and do early and, and do longer has made a huge impact. Um, and, and we are, you know, we're thankful for that because as hospitals, we, it gave us the opportunity 
to to purchase more PPE, increase increase our par levels, um, also get rooms ready, um, create more negative pressure rooms, and um, and frankly get get our testing faster. When we first started out, uh, we were you know working with a national lab company, and we were seeing. Uh, test turnaround times of seven to 10 days. Um, now we have uh, in-house testing uh, systems where we can, we can test for COVID-19 and get an answer in less than an hour. Uh, and that's a big deal. Um, and so I think how the community can help now is, is, is one, thank you for, for, for what you did to help us get to where we are today. Uh, but, but the, the other piece is please, you know, get back and take, I know I'm kind of repetitive here, but take care of your, your healthcare issues, go back and see your doctor, um, and let us take care of those other things while we keep you safe. Uh, and I think it's important to know that, you know, hospitals are, are at a much better place than we were three months ago. So. Dr. Salinas. Share a lot of what, uh, some of the same comments that John Paul made, uh, we had a tremendous amount of community support with uh, providing food for our staff and personal protective equipment and leads on personal protective equipment that really turned out to be very, very helpful for us at Children's. And I want to thank you all, uh, those of you that participate in that, and thank the community for that. What the community can continue to do, it's just what John Paul said, trust that your healthcare systems are safe for you to access care, in this case for your children. Remember the importance of pediatric visits and remember that children can become anxious hearing about COVID-19 and about the pandemic and that one of the best places, one of the safest places for them to discuss that if they're anxious is with their pediatrician. So it's so important to reaccess the healthcare system right now so that we can continue as we all reemerge and reopen, we can continue to focus on our health and the health of our children in this case, so that they can be healthy and ready and vaccinated and ready for school next year. Terrific. Frida, what would you like to add? Um, I agree with uh, John Paul and Dr. Salinas, but I will say, and I apologize, I should have said this in my opening, but, um, Labor and delivery is obviously a, a point of contention for Northside, and we have made sure that we set up separate entrances for our labor and delivery patients, and those patients do get one support person that can come with them for that particular uh, visit, So that and that person stays with them throughout the entire time so that they're not in and out and the visitors can't change. But I think that's important because it's a very... Um, it's uh, a very important time in someone's life, and these are very unusual circumstances. And, and so I did want to mention that because people have been asking that question of me, and I wanted people to understand how we're handling that as well, as we've had many babies that have been delivered during this COVID uh, pandemic. John, if I, if I could add one more thing Please. Uh, to what we've said, one of the things that the community can do is please remember to continue to practice the safe measures that have been mentioned that, that we have all practiced over the last few weeks. Um, even though the shelter in place has been lifted, we need to really continue to practice hand, good hand hygiene, using soap and water, using alcohol-based hand sanitizers when soap and water is not available, making sure that we are still socially distancing, even as we venture outside 
into the open to, to keep remember that these safety measures are really, really critical. And those are the measures that will actually help us to continue to prevent the spread of the disease, which then leads to fewer cases, fewer hospitalizations, et cetera. So that's one thing that the community can really help to continue to rally to help us to do. Well, continuing on that theme, let's talk about uh, PPEs or personal protection equipment. Um, And I guess comments on their effectiveness and recommendations that you make, you know, beyond what you've already mentioned. Uh, Frida, maybe you can start on this one. Uh, Well, obviously the effectiveness of the personal protection, um, everything that we've been doing, the PPE has been amazing. And John Paul talked about a little bit again, the community really rallied around that. And a lot of our construction companies and different companies that used it for uh, other reasons within their company, made sure that they supported the local hospitals and brought in a lot of PPE for us until we could get our own um, upscaled as much as we needed it to be. But um, I can't say enough about how important it is for everyone, whether depending on where you are, healthcare workers wear a different level, but it's just been amazing. Uh, We're gearing up. uh, I know that at Northside, I'm probably everywhere, all the other hospitals as well, feel like we have sufficient supplies right now. And um, we uh, have not even though we did have shortages at the very beginning, have not really had some of the issues that you've seen on television in New York and some of those areas. We were able to um, sufficiently give the equipment that our staff needed uh, on a daily basis. So for that, we were very thankful. Thank you. John Paul? Yeah, I would say PPE in in general is very effective um, if you use it correctly. we, you know, we, throughout Wellstar, you know, we track, you know, individuals uh, who work for us that have, have, have gotten COVID-19 and the number that have gotten COVID-19 directly from, you know, patient care is very, very low. Uh, m- most of the individuals um, within our system who have, have contracted COVID-19 uh, most likely got it, you know, from the, from the community. Um, and, you know, the, so we, we go through a you know, pretty uh, detailed process with, with everybody, you know, as they, as they test out for that and how they got it and who they came in contact with. Um, so I think the fact that people, you know, at all times are wearing, wearing masks, um, if they're dealing directly with a COVID-19 patient, they would have on an uh, N95. Uh, typically have a uh, N95, which would be covered by a face shield. Um, some people will use a second um, surgical mask to cover the N95. But the, but the part I wanted to, to mention about using it correctly is that if, you know, you could have all of the best PPE equipment in the world, um, but, you know, if you, uh, you'll see people in the community that will have a mask on and they may have it on their, their chin, uh, <laughs> which is... <laughs> And, you know, and, and which what's happening at that point, any, any, you know, COVID-19 they picked up on the outside of their mask, they're now just breathing it back, back in as I'm touching my face talking about this, but, but I did use Perel before I did that. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, I think it's also important, you know, how you use it or you re, if you're reusing the mask, are you not touching the outside of it? 
Um, if you have a, if people in the community, if you have a cloth mask, are you, are you washing it at home or are you just reusing the same thing over and over again? A lot of it's kind of common sense, but it takes, you have to kind of think through about how you use it. Um, and, I, and, I, and, and talking about the community again, one of the things I see a lot in the community is people wearing gloves. Um, you know, I think we know that you cannot, you cannot get COVID-19 through your hands. Even if you have a cut on your hands, you're not going to get COVID-19 through it. Uh, you might get something else, but a glove is not going to protect. And I think a lot of people will wear these gloves constantly and forget to wash their hands. They think they're protecting themselves, but in fact, you're, you're touching all kinds of things with, with gloves. So we, you know, at, in the hospitals, we really encourage, uh, you know, if you, if, when you're taking care of a COVID-19 patient, you're wearing gloves, but a single glove use, you're taking them off and then you're washing your hands. Uh, so, you know, I think that, that that's one of the things I would just encourage the community is use PPE, but really think about how you're using the PPE. And really, unless you're caring for a COVID-19 patient, really, you know, gloves, it's probably better just to, just to wash your hands, hand sanitize, and that, and that's one thing. But PPE, good thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thank you, John Paul. Dr. Salinas? Sure. The only thing I'll add is, is, is the, just the term supply chain. And there's some of the unsung heroes right now in healthcare because they've had to work so hard. And it, Children's, our supply chain team, has really worked hard to keep up on a daily basis, multiple times a day, actually, with our levels of, of necessary personal protective equipment. And it's really, really critical that we know our supplies and that we know the daily usage of our supplies and how we're going to conserve our supplies. And we've implemented all of these measures at Children's to make sure that we have uh, adequate uh, PPE. And then to add to what John Paul said about the community, uh, remember that a mask protects you, but a mask also protects someone that might be standing next to you. If you're incubating COVID-19 or any other respiratory illness for that matter, like influenza, and you're wearing a mask, um, it also protects the spread of the virus to others around you. So that's another reason why masking is important. And um, I cannot emphasize more the importance of washing one's hands and how gloves out in public can give us a false sense of security. When in fact, washing hands with soap and water for 20 seconds or when soap and water are not available, using uh, alcohol-based hand sanitizer with 60% alcohol or more in it can really be a good line of defense uh, against this virus. Thank you. Um, why don't we get into the, the, the common treatment plans that are occurring at this point? And maybe uh, John Paul you can start. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I think that we, we try to try to stay on the front end of, of, of all of the you know, new treatment plans that are coming out. Um, one of the interesting things that, that we are doing um, is convalescent plasma. Um, a lot of people have been talking about this in, in the, in the news. Um, what convalescent plasma is, is that people that have had COVID-19 uh, before um, donate their plasma, which is a system by which, you know, your blood is run through a machine, the plasma is taken out, 
Um, you know, I think the belief there is is that uh, th this this plasma contains antibodies, um, and what we've seen, at least at least at our hospital, is that as we as we use this this plasma uh, on patients with COVID nineteen, we have seen some you know reduction in the number of days that they're in the ICU. It just gives your body an opportunity to uh, to to come back stronger faster. Um, and again, there's still a lot of studies, a lot of, uh, a lot of things being done. We, um, at Wellstar, we, we are doing this through a study with the Mayo Clinic and have had the opportunity to participate in that. And, and, um, and we are tracking our data as is, as Mayo and other, other hospitals as well, uh, to see how this is, you know, will we'll run in the long run, but we do think it is a, uh, we do think it's a benefit for the patients. Um, the only other thing I would say to that is it gives us some hope that perhaps uh, when we, you know, start to do more antibody testing throughout the United States, that perhaps it, it, what it tells us is that as, as somebody has had COVID-19 and builds up antibodies, uh, potentially um, it, it could help, you know, in, in the future, um, you know, particularly maybe even toward finding a vaccine, although we're not, we're not at that point or involved in that yet. Um, but, but that, that's been, that's been the biggest, uh, uh, interesting treatment for us. We, you know, our, our pulmonologist and critical care physicians, uh, spend a lot of time talking to their colleagues at other systems in Atlanta and throughout the United States about the latest drugs, the latest treatments, uh, to, to, uh, combat, uh, COVID-19. And, um, I think it's just a lot of great professionals trying to stay on the front end and trying to understand what you know, what, what the next best thing is going to be. Thank you, Dr. Salinas. I know th things are different for, for on the, when it comes to treatment for children, maybe you can address that. The treatment protocols for kids are actually very similar to adults. The, the biggest uh, thing is supportive care, of course, with uh, fluids and uh, oxygen and things like that. If a child needs that, but also we have used, convalescent plasma to treat uh, a child with COVID-19. And then we've also used the frequently mentioned antiviral, which is under, uh, which is used through investigational use, remdesivir. So the treatment protocols for kids are, are basically the same. Frida? Um, I actually called a couple of our physicians yesterday to ask this question because I wanted to make sure since I've been doing something a little differently. One thing that they are seeing that they think is very promising is called a um, proning, uh, which is a treatment uh, that they're using specifically for coronavirus and we're using it. And they have seen a lot of very um, promising results from it. Basically, that means that they're flipping the patients on their stomach. And that helps the respiratory secretions not pull in the back, which is where the better portion of the lung tissue is. And they said by doing that, they're causing um, a lot of gravity helps these secretions move. And they're finding the patients are responding very well to this. And it has helped patients not have to go on a ventilator. So um, this is a um, study that's being done across the country and John Paul, y'all might be doing this as well. But I did think that that was a, something that was very uh, promising and something that has come on the forefront during coronavirus. So I wanted to mention that we're doing that and you guys are probably doing that as well. Terrific. Um, let's, 
let's talk a, a little bit about uh and John Paul you you uh brought this up first I think uh but uh time sensitive essential and elective surgeries uh maybe you can start with this how how you're handling uh that and what you're obviously encouraging folks to take care of themselves maybe you can expand on some of those issues sure yeah so when when all of this started obviously we 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 as all hospitals uh, put off you know elective surgeries things that uh, were not critical at the time to be taken care of, needed to be, uh, could be pushed back a few months. Um, but throughout, you know, we, you know, we continue to take care of uh, any, you know, urgent surgery. Uh, you know, as a trauma center, we, we, we still continue to get traumas in that have to be taken uh, to, to the OR. Um, the uh, There were certain types of procedures that also would continue, say, for instance, if you had a, a cancerous tumor mass, um, that you know, waiting weeks would would not be good for your health. Uh, those procedures were done, uh, but we were very very selective for for a period of time. I think now we're at the point, you know, as, as all the systems are slowly coming back on uh, with procedures, um, I feel that we are in a we're in a place where we you know can keep you know people that want to come in. Uh, for those um, those procedures that they've put off, you know things such as you know ENT procedures or certain orthopedic procedures, um, we we have started to to take a look at those and do those um, you know on, on our patients. Uh, we you know we still are looking at you know patients with multiple comorbidities or people that are uh, of a certain age where it might not be you know, wise to do that procedure at this time. And if we can still put that off a little while, we would. But those decisions are being made between uh, the physician and their patient in, in conjunction with our, with our ORs to make sure that uh, we're making the best decision for everybody. Uh, I would say that with, um, with every patient now that, that comes uh, to get a procedure done, uh, whether it be in our OR or if they're coming to the cath lab, we do test everyone uh, ahead of time. Uh, they would come a day or two ahead. We would run a COVID nineteen test on that on that person, um, just to to let you know, to let both our our team members know, but also that that patient know whether they were you know currently infected with COVID nineteen. If they uh, if they do test positive, uh, we would ask uh, that that person to uh, say, you know if they were not sick enough to be in the hospital, we would ask that person to go home and quarantine for, for a couple of weeks, uh, at which point they would you know, meet with their doctor again and make a decision about rescheduling that test. Uh, if they test negative, we would go ahead and, and schedule that procedure, uh, but still take all PPE precautions. So you'll, all the healthcare workers are still wearing masks, um, you know, the, um, and the, the patients you know, would be masked until it's time to do the procedure. Uh, so we're taking all additional precautions, even though we are doing the testing, uh, but I think it is important for people to know it is, you know, it is, it is safe to, uh, to come back and do those types of procedures. Um, but you, you, you and your physician will make the best decision uh, for you and we will work with you to get the, get those things done. Thank you. Frida, what would you like to add? Uh, pretty, it's pretty much the same thing as John Paul. The only thing I would say is if you have either a, an employee or a patient 
that uh, exhibits and gets a positive corona test, the rule is, you know, you you isolate for 14 days and people are like, so at the end of 14 days, am I free to move around? And our, our instructions are that it's that you are symptom free for five days. So for some people, it might be that you quarantine for 10 days, but you're symptom free for five days. You have no fever. You have no cough. You have none of the symptoms that you had prior to that. So for most people, it is somewhere around three weeks or so before they actually are completely through the process. That's not true for everyone. I think children, it's even less. Dr. Salinas can probably tell you. But our rule that we tell everyone is you need to be symptom free for five days. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Salinas, anything to add on this one? Uh, The only thing I'll add is with kids, there are so few procedures that are truly elective. So we've had to be, we've had to do surgical procedures all along the way in a very limited way. But as of May 4th, we've opened our, our surgical services back up and are, are taking all the necessary precautions to provide that surgery in a safe, uh, in a safe way. Uh, in terms of COVID-19, et cetera. So we're open for surgery, keeping our system safe, and and um, the kids are coming back in for uh, their their uh, surgeries now into our system. Terrific. Um, we, 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 there was a mention earlier of, you know, now that Georgia is, is reopening, quote, unquote, you know, in, in various ways, um, you know, the anticipation of more positive cases. I mean, I'm curious about your perspective on that and what you anticipate uh, in that regard. Dr. Salinas, maybe you can start. Sure, I'll be happy to take that. I, I think it's difficult to know. Uh, this virus is still present in the community. Um, the uh, reopening of Georgia, of course, was very important. What that means, though, for us is that we need to continue to be uh, very vigilant and continue to socially distance ourselves, make sure that we're washing our hands or using alcohol-based hand sanitizers when soap and water are not available. We need to continue to do all of those practical things that we've mentioned that made North Fulton so successful in reducing the spread of this illness. We need to just keep doing that because the virus is still present. There are still people testing on a daily basis that are positive, et cetera. So the virus is present. So we need to continue to use our common sense and to do the things that we learned. And I also think that what we learned during this pandemic is going to be really helpful to us during flu season this next year and during other viral outbreaks that I bet you you're going to see more people washing their hands and even wearing masks. And no one ever wore masks or very few people wore masks during influenza season. So if there's a silver lining, I think it is that we've learned a new way to reduce the spread of an illness. Social distancing works. And let's keep doing that. Frida, do you have anything to add in terms of anticipating more positive cases? Any comments on that? No, I think that um, I do get asked quite often because people say, but it's still going up. It's still going up. And I'm like, well, if if you look at the daily update that they send out on, um, you know, several different stations and all, that's true. But the testing 
there's more available testing than ever before. So, of course, as you're testing more people, you're going to see more positive cases. So it's a but the overall number of patients that are in critical care and needing hospitalization is less. John Paul. Yeah, I I think to Frida's point, that's right. I mean, the testing is going up, which is makes it look like the number of cases is going up. But the reality is, I mean, if you think about when all this started, there were so few tests that a lot of people, you know, were being sent home to quarantine. If they showed the symptoms, we were making assumptions that they had COVID-19. So I I think, I think that's absolutely correct. Um, Also to Dr. Salinas's point, I, I think it would be great to, as we get in get into the winter that we actually have a low flu season because of uh, because of people using PPE and washing hands more. Um, he's he's right. We have you know we have diseases every year that are spread uh, by by touching and you know uh, t- touching our face and, and not washing our hands. Um, so we are. I think that could potentially be a, a big silver lining. I think that. You know, I think the thing we just want to want to caution everybody about is that you know COVID nineteen it's 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 just because the state's opening back up it's not over um, it's still there uh, we still need to you know take take precautions um, at the same time we have to get back to work and we have to figure out how how we live with COVID nineteen uh, for the next year or so until we until we do see some type of um, uh, preventative measure uh, for for the disease. Um, but in the meantime, it's, it is important that we you know, continue to use our PPE, live our, live our life. Um, but, but, you know, just know that the healthcare systems, we, we're in a good place. You know, we, you know, we certainly expect to see, you know, probably a few spikes here and there, but we're prepared for it. Um, but at the same time, we just encourage, you know, our community to take the proper precautions. Um, Question around the uh, for businesses, business owners, uh, you know, executives that are trying to keep their employees safe. That's what y'all are in the business of every day. Um, obviously, at, at your respective organizations, um, talk about what kind of guidance and guidelines for healthy reopening you would recommend. Um, maybe some safety protocols that employers ought to be thinking about and implementing as their employees return to work. Frida, maybe you could start with this one. I, I think everything that we've said um, these last hour is is all very important, but the social distancing has got to continue. And um, I mean, this affects so many places. Um, you know, cubicles used to be your best friend in some of our businesses where there could be so many people put in a a small area through cubicles and now cubicles are not our friends because most most of them don't allow for six feet of distancing. So I think as some businesses open back up, they have to think about that and the safety of their employees and determining how best to address that. Um, And um, I've heard several people say that they never thought they could work from home, but they learned how to work from home. So there may be some changes as we go on in the future with that, but it's it's everything we've said f- throughout this entire thing that's still so important and will continue to be important to protect each other um, going forward. But the figuring out how to go back to work and keeping the six foot distancing is going to be very extremely important. Dr. Salinas, you know, I think every every business and Frida's alluded to this. Every business is going to need to look at 
their business, their spaces, et cetera, and, and devise their plan. So I think it's going to be unique based on the business, the types of employees, the number of employees, et cetera. But one thing I would say is the CDC has excellent guidance on their website for businesses. And I would highly recommend that any business refer to the CDC guidance on what to do to make the workplace safe. Thank you for that. Uh, uh, John Paul. Yeah, I just reiterate what what Frida and, and Dr. Selena said. You know, both both the CDC and, and Governor Kemp's office have put out great guidelines for businesses on, on how to protect yourself. I would certainly uh, re- refer to that. Um, you know, and uh, it's you know, masks are great. Hand washing is 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 so important. Um, so if, if you're with your business, I would, you know, encourage you to uh, have places where people can wash their hands frequently, encourage that to occur frequently. Um, and if you don't have ready access uh, to, to hand washing stations, make sure that you have a hand sanitizer uh, readily available. And it just be, kind of becomes part of your part of your everyday, uh, you know, uh, action, you know, you, 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 you do something, you serve a customer, you, hand sanitize you know it's just it's, it's just got to be something that's kind of uh, come second nature thank you i i think we've hit the high points of the questions that have been submitted and I, i'd like to thank uh each of our panelists uh, this has been terrific uh dr dan salinas children's health care of atlanta Frida hardage Northside hospital and john paul croom wellstar north fulton hospital thank you so much for being with us and thank you for your service to our community Thank you. Thank you. It's been our pleasure. Thank you. Yes, thank you, and you're very welcome. Thank you. And uh, now I'm going to turn it back to Callie Boatwright. Callie. John, thank you. And I uh, echo John's thank you to our panelists uh, for being with us today, as well as thank you to our sponsor, John Ray and Business Radio X. Thank you for doing a great job with this panel. Um, just to make sure everybody knows, the chamber did go back into the office on Monday. Um, my team is here. We are using CDC guidance, um, great documents, and we are also maintaining social distancing. And John Paul, you'll be happy to know we have the hand sanitizer at like every place in the office. I know that's a big thing for you as well. So um, we also have some great resources. (laughs) I know. (laughs) We have some great resources on our website as well. Um, I do want to just let everybody know our next Thursday uh, webinar event will be next Thursday, May 14th. It is a real estate market outlook amid the current crisis. So it kind of gives us an update of what that looks like from a commercial and residential standpoint. Um, so just check the calendar at gnfcc.com and you can see all of the topics in this month, but that is our next one. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Again, thanks to our panelists and thanks to our sponsor, Business Radio X. We look forward to seeing you next Thursday.